Super Bowl Sunday. Woohoo! Okay, I already have a problem with you, young man. You're going to have So uh, it's early service, but let's get a little spice in it. Let's see. Okay, so we're going to actually hoot and holler, okay? So if you're a, uh, if you want the Colts to win, all right? And if you want the Saints to win, see, I'm, I'm going to have trouble with you all because the Saints are the Atlanta Falcons' arch rival. So I root for the Falcons and whoever's playing the Saints, so... Uh, so, so, Colt fans, I need a little more from you, all right? If you want the Colts to win, if you want the Colts to win, if you want the Colts to win, stacking the deck. Hey, Super Bowl Sunday, except for the Falcons, I really don't care. Promise. Except for the Falcons, I don't care. I only care about the halftime show. So, extra points for anyone that can tell me who's playing at halftime. The who, 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 come on, y'all, the who are one of the four great bands of rock and roll. You know who they are, right? You can't go to K2 without knowing this. Uh, that would be no, but, so, the four great bands of rock and roll, go. The Beatles, number one, Woohoo! Beatles, all right. The Stones, of course, Stones, all right, the third one is the who. Who we just we just cheered for them, and the fourth one is. No great ball teams, terrible band, my friend, terrible. Of course, it's Led Zeppelin. It has to be Led Zeppelin. Those are the four great bands. They are the four pillars of rock and roll. If you are a student of rock and roll like me myself, you know that's true. And after today, you know that's true. You hear what I'm saying? And as a matter of fact, I'm so excited about the Who playing. It made me think about this time I was, uh, I was in college. I thought about this this week. And I, I worked at a dry cleaners. And I pressed uh, shirts and pressed pants and all that. And it was hot and no air conditioning. It's not nearly as glamorous as it sounds, I promise. Right? But I worked there for like, because I'm so stubbornly loyal and stupid, I worked there for years like all the way through college at like, well, back then this will reveal my age is like five seventy-five an hour or something like that, right? And my job was everything. I was one of these do-it-all kind of guys. So I waited on the customers, and then I would press the shirts and all this stuff. And the trick to the dry cleaning business, this will really enlighten you, the trick is to get ahead, right? So people bring, all the businessmen bring in their, their button-down shirts, and what you want to do is you want to get a head start the night before the next day's work, right? And so uh, I would stay maybe an hour after close and I would start these presses up. Now, you've got to understand uh, these dry cleaners. I don't know if you've ever seen the back, but they have like a press here and it's a big press. And it's the part that presses this part of the, of the shirt. And then you turn it over and it presses the back. You with me so far? All right. And then there's another press where you put the cuffs and the collar down. And that was kind of on a different side. And then there's another press where you, uh, you'd, actually the collars was separate. And then you'd have the cuffs. And then you'd go and you'd press the tail, the tail end on another press. And so the tricky thing about this was dry cleaning business was really, 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 really busy until about Thursday. And then Friday was your worst day, believe it or not, even though it was the day before the weekend because Friday was so stone-cold boring. Because Friday night, nobody's dropping clothes off or anything. There'd be a few things, right? And so 
you'd stay Friday night, you wouldn't see a customer in the place. So then I would try to get ahead for Saturday and Monday. And the thing about these presses is each one of these presses for these shirts had a unique sound. Like uh, one of them, if you hit a button for it to go down, it would go. And another one, if you, uh, if, you, uh, uh, if you hit the button for another one to come up, it would go. And then another one, if you, if you hit a, the button for it to go down on a different press, it would go. And then another one, it would go. Right? And the, the funny thing was, boring Friday night, you just do anything to entertain yourself, you know. And so the thing about it was, is if you got good enough at taking shirts off and putting shirts on and pushing buttons, and you could get like a rhythm going from these different sounds. Like, you drummer, you'll appreciate this. It's like, right? And so then one night, one Friday night, that's my goal. That's what I'm trying to do, trying to get that rhythm going, keep myself entertained. And you keep this rhythm going for a while, and then, you know, you start to get into a little bit of a trance or something, right? And so one night, one, night, one Friday night, I got this rhythm going, and I'm like... And I had a crazy hair, and I thought about one of my favorite bands. I started singing. Hey, hey, mama said the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. Uh-uh, child, when you walk that way, you got honey lips that can't keep away. One more. I don't know, but I've been told, big leg woman ain't got no soul. And I'm going on like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah, ah, ah. And I got this whole thing going. And I'm as happy as a clam, right? I'm just moving and singing, and I'm singing louder. All of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. I get a customer. And I hear this guy, he comes in. I didn't see him, and he goes, Hello? Okay, so here I am. I'm singing Led Zeppelin. And I'm working these presses, and the guy startles me, so I walk out there. And he'd been kicking back on Grandpa's old cough medicine, if you know what I mean. Right? He'd had a few, so he's, Why are you singing? It was a rough neighborhood. There's a laundromat next door. It was it was tough, you know. People were all, all the time getting drunk and puking and stuff. And why are you singing? Are you happy? I had to stop and think about the question for a minute because <laughs> I'm in college. I'm working at a dry cleaner's. How happy can you be, right? But I went, yeah, guess I am. Why are you so happy? Again, I'm thinking. And, you know, I was raised in church, good Baptist boy, you know. You take every opportunity kind of thing. And I go, Jesus. Okay, you understand the dichotomy there. You hear those inappropriate lyrics that I was just singing, highly inappropriate. And I tell him I'm happy because of Jesus. He goes, Jesus? Yeah, Jesus. That's all I said. 
And so he starts talking. This guy starts talking about his life. He's talking about all these hard things. He'd just gone through a divorce. He lost his wife. He was estranged from his children. He had all these different weird things going on. He gives me this long story, and I just sat there, and I listened. And, you know, I'm 19 years old. I don't know nothing about nothing. And I said, God loves you, man. It's going to be all right. And he went, where do you go to church? I said, down the road. And I told him. He goes, you're a good man. Turn around and walked out. Now, I'd love to tell you we had a nice revival moment and he received Christ and everything. It didn't happen. But that moment, that event taught me a very, very important thing. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. God can use anything. God can use anything. It's not particularly deep, but it's very, very true. God can use any God can use a 19-year-old kid pressing shirts, singing Led Zeppelin to a rhythm of steam. God can use anything. And I'm going to go one farther. God does use everything. God does use everything. It's different. So he's saying God can use anything, which means sometimes he may, not, he may decide not to use it. But if you think about it in terms of God does use everything, you're talking about God who is always at work. He never stops. Somewhere in the scripture, I don't know where, it says, Jesus is talking and he says, my father is always at work. He always has been working. And me too. Right? God's always at work in our lives. In fact, the Bible tells us this very clearly in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. I'll get there. If you have Bibles, turn to it real quick. It's one of the very famous verse. All right, Romans 8. Verse, I'll start in verse 27. Romans 8, verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Verse 28 is the key. And we know that in all things, everybody say all things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not only can God use anything, God does use everything in all things. Let's take the first part of that. I just want to live right there for a second. In all things, God works. He's always working in everything. He's working in the good things. He's working in the bad things. Or when I, when I say bad this morning, I mean the stuff that we actually do bad. Mistakes, when we shank it, the bad things. And then God works in the ugly things. The good, the bad, and the ugly, God is always working. He uses everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, nobody here probably has any trouble believing that God will use the good things about you and about me to accomplish his purpose. Nobody, nobody really has trouble with that. Everybody in the room is good at something. Raise your hand if you're good at something. Every hand should go up. Because everybody's good at something. And if you're blessed, you're good at more than one something. Right? And God, we don't have any trouble believing that God uses good stuff. Everybody's got a gift. Every one of you. And me. We all have a gift. Some of us have more than one. And here's the tricky part. The gift 
the good thing was put there by God himself. God put it there. Whatever is in you that you're good at, and I'm not talking about a talent. I'm not just talking about being able to sing well or, or anything like that. I'm talking about a gift. I got a talent for singing. I don't know that that's my gift that God has given me. I just worked really hard, right? But my gift, I had to search for that one. I had to look for that one. And every one of us are the same. And the thing about our gift and why it's important that we know what it is and we put it to use is because it accomplishes God's purpose. Again, in all things, God works. Right? And then it goes on to say, verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So I'm going to tell you what God's purpose is. This is it. You get a hold of this, you'll understand why you're here, why I'm here, and what God is doing. God's purpose is to make you and everybody you come across look more like Jesus. God's purpose is to make me look like Jesus, act like Jesus, think like Jesus, do like Jesus. And not only that, God's purpose is to make the whole world, all the people in the world, act like Jesus, think like Jesus, do like Jesus. Now, if I think of it that way, whether or not I discover my gift and whether or not I use it, it becomes very important. So my gift that God has given me is not just to make me feel better about me. Although it does. It doesn't have anything to do with that, really. My gift, if I think about it this way, when I use my gift, when I turn my gift, when I do something that puts my gift in motion, I help you look more like Jesus. If knowing my gift is, is encouragement, right? I figured that out. And I go to Pete, and I encourage Pete, in that moment, I've just helped Pete be more like Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that puts the whole gift thing into perspective, man. That, that sets me on a course to go, I've got to use my gift. Most people don't even know what it is. That's scary. That we could be a church worldwide for over 2,000 years, and most people in church don't even know what their gift is. But you understand that our gift is crucial to accomplishing God's purpose. You don't, turn, you don't figure out your gift, and you don't turn your gift. You're shortcutting the plan of God in the earth, the purpose of God. Some of you, I, I may not even be able to identify. I can tell sometimes, like we got a guy here. I don't want to embarrass him or make myself look weird either. But there's a guy here. I'm not quite sure what his gift is, but he's got the greatest smile. Like, the greatest, like there's something about, when he, when he looks you in the eye and he smiles at you, something happens. Now, I don't want to say his smile is his gift. It's probably a lot deeper than that, but there's a sign there. See, this is how you figure it out. This is how you figure out what your gift is. Does anybody ever come to you and tell you, you know what, you have a real gift for... 
And in that way, it helps us identify. Well, this guy's got a great smile. Well, I tell him all the time, man, you've got, you got a tremendous smile. Because I've experienced being in here on a Sunday morning, getting up at 4.30, coming in here and doing hard manual labor. I've experienced the, oh, I hate this. Right? I hate it. And I'll be, I'll be a down, although I try to put my brave face on, but I'll be a little down. And then he'll show up, and I'll go and say hey to him, and he'll, boom, put the smile on you. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I'm a little less like the devil and a little more like Jesus. And who did it? He did it. I didn't do it. He did it. I'll say God used him to do it because I'm supposed to be spiritual and all that. But I really want to say he did it. Because he had to make a choice to go, hey, and it's better than this. Mine's pretty great, but his is just much better, right? <coughs> but he had to choose to take whatever that gift is in him that causes him or gives him the ability to do that. He had to choose to go, and I look more like Jesus because he did that. So I'm going to give you a mission in life. You want to know your mission in life? I'm going to tell you how to be happy. In church, find your gift, use your gift, figure it out, pray and ask God, ask people around you, what, am, what do you think a gift that I might have is? And we got to be honest with one another, you know? I love my wife, she's right there, right? Love her, I'm going to embarrass her a little, I didn't even ask her, all right? She wants to sing more than I want to eat. That girl wants to sing. Sing. She's all right. She's all right. It's, it's going to be a little while before she's up here singing for you guys, right? But that's not her gift. You know what her gift is? One of them, at least I know, worship. See, the singing is only how it expresses itself. Worship is a gift, man. You find somebody that knows how to worship, man. They make me look more like Jesus. They help me. And we have to do that for one another. So the good stuff, the gift is very important. The good stuff, the gift makes all the difference. But you got to find it and you got to use it. I remember once I was at um, a Chris Tomlin concert. Um, You guys know who Chris Tomlin is? Sorry. All right, so he's a real famous worship leader guy. And we were at this concert, me and a, and a buddy of mine, and it was this big hall, maybe 2,500 people, right? And it kind of a low ceiling, but it was packed. Every seat was full, and Chris Tomlin is, is doing his thing, and he's singing this, uh, I, I don't remember the exact song. I think it might have been Indescribable. You know that song? Indescribable, uncontainable. You set the stars in the sky, and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. So he's doing this, and every person in the place is on their feet. And every hand in the place is stretched out toward the ceiling as a show of vulnerability and worship to God. And you know what? That place was full of great singers. When they went to sing, it was like everybody singing on pitch. Everybody was there, and it was like angels were there. And then there was this one dude (laughs) right behind me, right behind me, and he's like this, indescribable, 
uncontainable. You set the stars just as loud as he could sing and not anywhere close. And I, so weak, fleshly, musician side of me, we're in this great moment of worship. And I, I'm thinking, dude, there are 2,500 people in here and they're all spot on. You can't hear that pitch? Right? So here I am, my beautiful worship. Dude, just, just shut up, man. Just shut up. Right? And I tur- but I turned around. I was going to give him the, you know, the, the angry face. Make him hush. I turned around and, uh, man, he was just indescribable. Unco- but, man, you could see it on his face. That guy was digging in. He was trying to make a connection for all he was worth. He couldn't sing a note, but man, he had worship. He had worship in him. And I thought for a second, you know what? As a, as a singer and as a person, I like good stuff. I like being around gifted people, and I like being around people that are easy to talk to, and I like being around people with the gift of gab, and, and I like being around good singers, and I like to get a room full of good singers and worship. But really, that's not true. I had to stop for a second as this guy was just, just trying so hard. I had to stop and go, no, you know what? I think I'd rather be around the bad singing guy. And, when I, and in my life, when I think about my life, I, don't, I honestly don't enjoy being around people that got their act together. I just, because I don't have mine together. Right? I don't have it together. So when I'm around people that don't have it together, I feel more comfortable. So God works in the good stuff, in the gifts, but he's working in the bad stuff. I'm not talking about bad circumstances. I'll get to that in a minute. I'm talking about, I'm talking about personal responsibility, bad stuff. Stuff I did. Stuff you do, did. Stuff that we shouldn't do. I'm talking about sin. So the verse says, Romans 8, 28, throw it back up there if you would. And we know that in all things, all things, wow. I got to stop for a second because this is hard to swallow. Does all actually mean all? Even my sin? Even my mistakes? Can God work in me, through me, to help people look like Jesus even when I shank it? That's a little... Because, you know, I've been raised to believe, well, God hates sin. Yes, He does. He hates it, and we shouldn't do it. It destroys us. It hurts people. It hurts us. But I, but I do it. See, my temptation in my past, and maybe some of you were here also, and I hope maybe this will help you. My temptation in my past is to go, well, I, I commit some pretty big doozies. I've done some stuff. I do some stuff. And it's wrong. So that then shortcuts God's ability to use me. God can't use me. As much as he could, because I sin, I do wrong things. I'm starting to believe, 
Some of you may disagree. They may beat me up in Bible school about it, but I'm starting to believe that it doesn't shortcut him. I think it hurts us. I think it hurts the ones we love. I think it affects how we feel about God, and so it affects that relationship. I think it's serious. I think he hates it. I think ultimately it will destroy us. But if we'll give him our mistakes, he'll work anyway. He'll do stuff anyway. I have a perfect, this perfect thing happened to show me that this is true. I'm starting to believe it is. I was at uh, one of my Life Together groups. I'm in two. And one of them is on a a Sunday Sunday afternoon. We get together after church. It's called Silly Song Sunday. We get together at uh, friends of mine in the Coogler's house. We have our guitars. We sit around. We eat. We make up dumb little songs. And we laugh. And it's a great time. And everybody's there. Kids are running around. Well, the Coogler's house... They have this yard, it's kind of like a quad. The backyard just opens up, and the neighbor's yard comes right up to it, and the neighbor's yard, there's like four or five backyards right in a row. It's like a common area. And so when we get over, we love going over there because we just turn the kids loose, man. Just go out there. And all the kids from the neighborhood come, and they all play together, right? Well, one time, I'm over at the Cougars. I'm taking a break from singing, and I, I happen to look out the screen door at the most awful time. I see my oldest son, Dylan, who, who happens to be autistic, right? And he's out in the common area, and there's this big guy just pushing him down. And not a big guy. He's like a kid, but he's bigger than Dylan, right? Just pushing him down. Well, Dylan, he's autistic. He, half the time, he doesn't know you're picking on him. So Dylan would just stand right back up. No, no expression on his face. Just stand up. Kid would push him down. Dylan would just stand up like, well, we're we playing a game. What's going on? Kid would just push him down. We're just being just mean. And I'm standing there. There's a room full of people right now. I'm a, I'm a pastor at the church. All right. You following me? And I start talking. I start like talking to him. It's weird being a dad because when you got a son, you, you kind of want to teach it, Let him kind of take care of himself. You don't want to be the dad that comes out and saves him. You don't always want to have to save him. You want him to be tough. I don't know if I did that right. I don't know if I'm a good dad or not. Just bear with me. All right. But I, I had this, like, I don't want to run out there, but if I'm, I'm getting angry at this other kid, like, I'm getting ready to go squash this kid's head like a grape, right? <laughs> and I, and I, go, I go, Dylan, stand up and just cold cock that kid right now. I'm talking to myself about this loud. Hit him in the face. Hit him in the face. <laughs> right? I'm getting angry. I'm like, Dylan, keep your fist real straight, just like this. I'm, I'm at the glass door. Right? Keep your fist real straight. Just go bam, straight, right in the bridge of the nose. Just hit him in the face. Hit him in the face. All of a sudden, I'm like, there's people in the room. They're all looking over at me like, <laughs> I'm a pastor at the church. Right? Like, what? Candace Kugler, bless her heart, she was wondering why I'm not going out there to fix it. Right? But I'm, I'm trying to be strong. But I'm, I'm getting angry, and I want Dylan to get violent with this kid. Very unchristlike response on my part, right? Not looking like Jesus at all. It's a, if you want, I was sinning. Can I just put it, put it that way? Sin, big fat sin, bold as day. And Candace goes out there and in her own gracious way, she takes care of it and I'm all embarrassed because everyone kind of knows what's going on and, and uh, I get this thought in my head and a nickname that I used to be called when I was a kid little kid, about Dylan's age, pops right in my head. I'm going to tell you what it is, but if any of you ever call me it, 
I'm going to take you out, all right? Okay, they, I'm not going to tell you why. Just They used to call me Puggy. I'm not telling you why. Don't ever ask me. Let's never speak of it again, all right? But all of a sudden, I'm watching this, and Puggy comes in my head. What the, what the heck? And I'm still, I'm Puggy. I go, that's God. Duh. What's he telling me? I wasn't mad at that kid. Well, I was, but that wasn't the heart of it. I got picked on. I got beat up on. I got pushed down. I don't want my kid to go through it. That wasn't Brad, the pastor, of, you know, pastor guy. That wasn't Brad. That was, that was Puggy, the eight-year-old kid that was getting pushed on picked on in in the playground. God used that. God works in all things, even my my mistakes. If I hadn't been sinning right there at that door, isn't it funny, though, how God disciplines us? I expect God, if I'm sinning, to go, you're sinning. And then, kind of like when you give your kids a spanking, you did wrong, bam, oh, sorry. Is it okay if I say I spank my kids on occasion? I don't, all right. Don't call nobody on me, all right? Kind of like when you give your kids a spanking and then later you go in to to explain to them, now here's why you got the spanking and here's what happened and here's what you have to do in the future and I understand, you know. So first you bring the pain, rah! And then you come in later. It's almost like God, when he caught me sinning, just skipped over the pain. He skipped over the spanking and just went, hey, man, it's, it's, not, it's not you. It's because of what, what you went in before. You got to deal with that. You got to take care of that. God used that. God uses all things. He uses the good. He uses the bad. He uses the ugly. Now, what's, uh, what do I mean by ugly? I mean stuff you and I have absolutely no control over. I mean the stuff of life, the stuff that just happens. I mean the injustices. I mean stuff maybe that happened when you were a kid. That wasn't your fault. You didn't do nothing to deserve it. It just happened. The ugly stuff. I'm talking about ugly situations. I'm talking about the things that you think about all the time that you wish you could change in your life, your situations, but they don't change. They're just ugly. God uses the ugly you want proof? The cross. The cross of Christ. We look at the cross now. It's very difficult for us 2,000 years later to look at the cross and go, that was just ugly. Because now we wear it around our neck in shiny silver and gold because of what it means to us. But back then, you've got to understand, the cross was the ugliest thing that could ever happen to anybody. The cross... I mean, it's bizarre. You realize how wicked and twisted that was? Whoever invented killing somebody with crucifixion is so wicked and so smart at the same time. Because when they hang somebody on a cross, they they put nails in their hands, right? And they hang them up kind of like this or maybe out like this, and they slump them down a little bit. And then they put nails in their feet. Now, somebody figured out that when you're slumped down like this and you're hanging on a tree, you have to 
raise yourself up to breathe. You have to breathe. You can't breathe very long down like this. You've got to push yourself up or pull yourself up. Well, you can imagine. You're nailed in your feet. You're nailed in your hands. You're pushing up to breathe. When you push up, you're putting pressure on this wound down here. And you're putting pressure on these wounds. And when you put pressure on wounds like that, mind-numbing pain. So then you, you, gotta, you have to breathe, and you just push up. And then when you drop down, you're putting pressure on your wounds right here in your hands. Mind-numbing pain. And you got to breathe. So you push up to breathe, pain. You drop back down, pain. You push up to breathe, pain. You drop back down, pain. And because your, your reflex to breathe is so strong, you'll just keep putting yourself through it. Push up, pain, down, pain. You'll keep going and going and going. Until what? You're too tired to breathe. Can you imagine that? Breathing is the most basic thing we do. You've got to go through a lot before you'll be too tired to breathe, man. And sometimes it would take days and days to die. The cross was ugly. In fact, it was so ugly. They used to do this thing. A man named Leonard Sweet taught me this. I've never forgotten it. They used to do this thing where if you really wanted to stick it to somebody, you wanted to tell them how you really felt, you'd make the sign of the cross. It was a, it was a bad sign. The closest thing we have to it today, hang on there with me, is the middle finger. Although the middle finger doesn't even really approach it. So if you're really angry at somebody, like say you're in your chariot and the guy in front of you is in his chariot and he's going too slow in the left-hand lane, right? So you pull out beside him, you pass him on the right and you turn around and you go, crucify you. And that was the way you gave the bird back then. It was a lot, a lot more serious, right? Or you're going through the drive through at... You know, Atticus's lamb and loin or something. You pull up. They give you your bag. You go to drive away. You look in your bag. What the? I didn't order this. Crucify you. Or somebody, somebody did it to you. You crucify you. And that's the way you really stuck. Crucify you. It's ugly. It was so ugly. It was a sign to say, I hate you more than I hate anything in the world. And in churches all around the world today, this is the sign of ultimate blessing. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now today, when you want to tell somebody, it's going to be all right. In the name of the Father, Son. And the Holy Spirit. How could God take such an ugly thing, crucify you, and turn it into ultimate blessing? Because that's what He does. He takes the ugliest things in your life and in my life. And he's working through them and working and working and working. 
And he takes the things you do wrong and I do wrong, the bad things, and he's working through them and working and working and working and turns those things into something beautiful, man. And why am I telling you this? Okay, nice. So what? What does that mean for living life today? Buck up, little camper. You got ugly things in your life? I mean ugly things. You didn't do nothing to deserve it. It just happened to you. And it affects everything. Buck up. I promise you, it's probably not as ugly as the cross. And now the cross is the most beautiful thing. We wear it around our neck. We put it on steeples all around the world and shine lights on it. If God can do that with the cross, he can do that with anything in your life. God works in all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to make you and me look more like Jesus. That is great news. Band, come on up, will you? We're going to do a couple more songs. We're going to worship together. Okay. Here's a good chance for you. You're, we're getting ready to sing words that are true. Some of you sing great. Some, you're all right. Some are just horrible. That's all right. The worse you are, the better. You realize God's attracted to ugly things. He's attracted to the bad things. Because he gets to show in that moment, as we begin to worship, think about this. He gets to show in this moment, he is God. And he can do anything.